Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 22. There we find God's word summarized as follows. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. After the sermon, we will sing together from hymn 50, the stances 3, 4, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, that includes you, boys and girls, death and the discussion about death is something we would rather not think about or engage in. For, let's face it, life for most of us is quite comfortable. We are quite content with the way things are at the moment. We have our many pleasures, comfortable house, a good car, food to eat, friends and relatives who care about us and many more things. And so in spite of the fact that we still like to complain a lot, we do like it here on this earth, don't we? And so we would rather think about this life and not about the life hereafter. We all know that one day we will die, but hopefully that is still a long way off. In the meantime, let's enjoy life here on this earth while we can. And that's also what the Lord God wants us to do, isn't it? And that's true. The Lord wants us to enjoy life here on this earth. But our enjoyment must be the right kind of enjoyment. Or else, as the preacher says, it is all vanity. For there is enjoyment, and there is enjoyment. The one leads to eternal death, and the other to eternal life. This Lord's Day teaches us to enjoy life to the fullest. It teaches us to enjoy all things in the way the Lord God intended it. And so I preach to you about the enjoyment of eternal life. First of all, in this life, and then secondly, in the life hereafter. The question in this Lord's Day about eternal life deals with the very last statement of the Apostles' Creed. And that's what you would expect. For all the other articles dealt with what happened in the past and what is happening in the present. And now, finally, as seems proper, we deal with the life hereafter. The previous articles dealt with the birth and the sufferings and the death of Christ and what that means for us today. And also the articles of the Apostles' Creed had us focus on the church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. And those statements have meaning especially for us during this life on earth. 
But this last statement, appropriately so, has us deal not with this life, but with the life hereafter. However, note well that also with this article, the Heidelberg Catechism begins with what it means for us today. It speaks about the fact that now I feel already in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. If we want to speak about eternal life, then we must begin with this life. For eternal life has begun now already. And so, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, before dealing with the question of the resurrection of the body, with what will happen in the future, we first deal with question and answer 58, dealing with eternal life as it applies in the present tense. Eternal life is something that we feel in our hearts, the Catechism says. We feel it. And that begs a question. Does that mean then that the way we enjoy eternal life is through our feelings? Is that where we start? For if that is true, does our religion that not become something subjective? Does that not put us on very dangerous grounds, as if our feelings determine whether or not we have eternal life? Well, no, brothers and sisters, we do not begin with our feelings. The rich man in the story about the poor man Lazarus also had great feelings of contentment. This rich man was on top of the world. He had everything his heart desired. He had riches and wealth and prestige and power. He went around in fine clothing. Just from the color of his fine robe, you could see how rich this man was, for he wore a purple robe. The only way you could dye a robe in that fine color was by extracting it from shellfish. And that was a very laborious and therefore expensive process. Only the very rich could afford such a robe. That is why purple often was reserved exclusively for royalty. Purple used to be the color of kings. And this rich rich man had such a coat. He had it all. And it felt great. But in spite of his feelings of well-being, he ended up in hell. And so clearly his feelings fooled him. He may have thought during his earthly life that God was with him, but in reality that was not the case at all. God was not with him at all. God totally rejected him. And so feelings is something we have to be very careful about. We do not take our starting point from them. And actually the catechism doesn't do that either. Where do we start? Well, we start with the scriptures. That's what a catechism does as well. It starts with the words of the Bible. And what do the scriptures say? Well, look at John 17, verse 3, which is also given as a proof text for this question and answer, as you can see at the bottom of this question and answer 58. And it says in John 17, verse 3, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is, first of all, a matter of faith. When you believe, you have eternal life already, as John also says, or as it also says in John 3, verse 36. 
You must believe that the only true God exists and that he sent his beloved son in the flesh. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. John 3 verse 36. What then exactly do you know and believe? For most people that's not so hard to answer. They point you to the scriptures and tell you that you must believe that God created heaven and earth and that he still upholds all that he has created by his mighty hand and that if you do not do his will that then you will go to hell. You have to acknowledge the existence of God in that way. You must also believe that the confessions as we have, here, as we have them here in this church are a faithful summary of God's word. And thus to believe is to say yes and amen to God's word as they are summarized in the confessions. Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, if you think that that is all there is to it, then you are wrong. For there is more to it than that. And that is why it is a good thing that a catechism also speaks about our feelings. Our feelings indeed do have an important part to play in all this. For if you truly believe God's word, then your feelings also come into play. Your feelings, based on the word of God, are awakened by such knowledge. This Lord's Day comes right after the question and answer dealing with the forgiveness of sins in Lord's Day 21. It is closely connected to it. Now we see the result. We see the result for us already in this life. If you know how sinful you are and that God has forgiven you, if you know that he even forgives you your sinful nature against which you fight every day, then you cannot help but having your feelings stirred and be joyful. You know that God loves you. You know that he provides for you and cares for you. You know that through his beloved son he has prepared a place for you. His son is seated at the right hand to plead your case. And he does that day in, day out. He does not cease praying for you and for me. He constantly has his loving and protective eye on you. Whoever is aware of those things cannot help but have his feelings and his emotions stirred. He is not left cold by what he knows, and he is thankful every day. He gets down on his knees every day to thank God for what he has done. He has a song in his heart, even when his circumstances are miserable and bleak. And you see, such a man was Lazarus. The parable tells us that he believed. For after he died, he ended up in Abraham's bosom. Abraham is the father of all believers. And only those who believe will end up in his bosom. Lazarus was the opposite of the rich man. Humanly speaking, he had nothing. He had no food. He had no money. He did not even have his health. He was totally dependent on handouts. Even the church didn't look after him. Most of the people of the church thought that he was abhorrent. They would rather not bother with him. In spite of all that, Lazarus experienced in this earthly life already the beginning of eternal joy. 
although the rejection and lack of care by others hurt him deeply, he hung, he hung on to the hope he had in his Savior. He ultimately did not look for help from man, but from God. And that's also what his name means. God has helped. He did not become a bitter man, as many others would have. No, he knew that his help comes ultimately from the Lord. And so, in spite of all his troubles, he had peace of mind. He had true joy. Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, For me to live is Christ. To have eternal life now already means that for a believer ultimately there is no contrast between now and then. For your life here now is already focused on Christ. He is your life. He is everything to you. And if that's the case, then you do not just worship him on a Sunday. No, then you worship him every day of the week. You give thanks to him in every way possible. You pray to him and you give thanks for your food and your drink. And you thank him from the bottom of your heart. It is not just a prayer with familiar words and stock phrases. No, both your mind and your heart are fully engaged. It is a matter of both your emotions and your mind. And in this way you give thanks to him for his wonderful creation. And that he has made you a part of it. And you give thanks to him in the way that you conduct yourself. You give thanks to him and you are eager to do his will. You give thanks to him for every good gift, for every breath you take, and for every enjoyment that you have here on this earth. And in this way you can cherish and enjoy all that the Lord God has given you. Then even for the smallest things in life, you are thankful. Indeed, life here on earth gives much enjoyment. And that is why it is no wonder that we do not like to think too much and talk too much about death. We do not want to sever the ties that bind us here on this earth. We do not want to say our final goodbyes to those whom we love, to our parents, to our children, our grandchildren, our other relatives and friends. But the Lord God also knows that. That is why in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26, Paul also calls death, an enemy. For he says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And death is still something that is not part of our personal experience. For that reason we fear it. It is hard for us not to be attached to this earthly life and to earthly things. It is hard for us to focus on Christ while living here on earth. It is hard for us to live a life of faith. And that is why in this life, we must exercise our faith to the utmost of our ability. And that is why the poor man, Lazarus, while he was still yet on earth, was more blessed than the rich man. For Lazarus learned to focus on the things that are above. He gave thanks even for the crumbs of the table of the rich man. Lazarus looked to God for all his needs. Through his poverty he had learned not to depend on man, but to depend on God alone. He learned to trust in him alone. Lazarus was a man of faith. 
But what about you and me? Do you and I also exercise our faith in this way? Do you give thanks to God for all your riches? Do you enjoy all your riches as coming from the Lord? Or do you treat material things as if they belong to you? Do you grumble and complain and are jealous of those who have more than you? Are you jealous of those who have better health than you have right now? Do you live a life of resentment and regret? The Lord God has a way of humbling us. He has a way of always having us focus on him alone. And that is why he has us realize that material things and physical things are only of a temporary nature. And that includes our bodies as we have them now. God has something much greater in store for us. What we have to enjoy here on this earth is only a foretaste of what is to come. We come to the second point. The statement about the resurrection of the body was one of the earliest statements of the Christian creed. It was a great comfort, especially to the early Christians, to know that the things here on earth are not something to hold on to, but that there was something much greater to look forward to. For the early church was persecuted relentlessly. You could not be attached to earthly things. For at any time your possessions could be taken away. They also feared for their very lives. They were all at risk to be thrown to the lions in the arena, to be nailed to a cross, to be burned alive. It's hard for us to imagine what it was like to live under such circumstances. But they knew the great hope that they had. And at the time of the Reformation, it was not any different. Also then, the persecuted Christians feared for their lives. They too were at risk to be burned at the stake, or to be dispossessed, or to be persecuted in numerous ways. Their lives were also often in peril. And for that reason, question and answer 57 also speak about the comfort of the resurrection. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Well, what is that comfort? That is beautifully expressed here in this Lord's Day. As soon as you die, your soul is immediately taken to Christ, your head. That's what the Reformed believer confessed. And they confessed that in spite of what the Roman Catholic Church taught. For the Roman Catholics taught that you do not go immediately to heaven. No, you first had to spend some time in purgatory. Heaven comes much later. First there had to be a waiting period. And that could be thousands upon thousands of years. And the catechism on the basis of the scriptures, of the scriptures does away with that erroneous notion. It teaches that the soul is immediately taken up to Christ, our head. Now you may wonder why it is still necessary to deal with that Roman Catholic heresy. Surely we know that by now. And that's true. Nevertheless, brothers and sisters, we still need to be confronted with the wonderful truth of this doctrine. For in this Lord's day we are confronted with the work of Christ to the fullest. 
And if we tamper with it, then we throw away our comfort. And Satan would like nothing better than that our comfort is taken away. And that is why also the doctrine about our state after death is constantly under attack. Some teach, even in the Reformed Church, that we would be conscious at the other end of the grave only on the day of judgment. In the meantime, our body would remain in the grave and our soul. But the scriptures are clear enough. The Lord Jesus said to the murderer on the cross, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, verse 43. He did not hint at a delay, nor it is clear enough what Christ meant. And that was the comfort for the sinner on the cross, and that's the comfort for you and for me as well today. And the Lord Jesus is clear enough in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus as well. Although since this is merely a parable, not everything is to be taken at face value, it is nevertheless clear enough that the Lord Jesus envisages that the believer is already in heaven while sinful man is still on earth. Lazarus is in heaven while the rich man's brothers are still on earth. Lazarus was immediately deposited at Abraham's side by the angels themselves. Lazarus was totally helpless while he was on earth. He did not have a cent to his name. And no one on earth looked after him. He had to fend for himself. But the Lord God sent his angels. The Lord was merciful to him. He knew and believed that as soon as he dies, he would immediately be with his Lord and Savior. That is also our comfort, brothers and sisters. Also, we may know that the Lord God will not leave our souls in the grave. Not even for a moment. That's also the comfort for those who now today are more and more helpless. We think of the elderly in that regard. When we get older, we become more and more helpless. We no longer are able to look after ourselves as well as we could before. More and more we have to depend on others. Also on our children, who before were dependent on us. And it is a blessing when the children see their responsibility in that regard and help their aging parents as much as they can. But nevertheless, it's not pleasant to be dependent on others, even if they are your own children. And as you get older, your health and your strength deteriorates. And then it is good to know that the Lord God is our help. Indeed, Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 21, for me to live is Christ. But then he also adds something to that. He says in the same breath, and to die is gain. That is the certainty we may have as believers. Immediately, he says, he will be taken up. There is no delay. The Lord God reveals himself as the God of the living, and that includes those who die in him. But even the body will not be left in the grave. The Lord God also promises that on the last day, our soul will be reunited with our body, as it says in the Catechism. Just as Christ's spirit was reunited with his body at the time of Easter when he rose from the grave, 
so will it be with us. Our bodies, now racked by all kinds of diseases and showing its many scars, will rise from the grave on the last day. The Lord God will come on that final day and he will knock on our grave and say, Come out of there and arise. Follow me into eternally, bodily. And how wonderful it is to know that. And we should not speculate, as we are prone to do, exactly how that resurrection will take place and how it will be here on this new earth. The Corinthians were also curious about many things and they wanted to know how the dead were raised. And what does Paul say to them? He says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 36 and following, How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant a body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. And so, brothers and sisters, burial has to do with sowing. And that is something we must always remember when we bring a loved one to the grave. Then we treat the body with the respect that it is due. It is a seed. It is a kernel that is put into the ground. And that seed is going to decompose so that something completely renewed may arise out of it. A glorified body. We can speculate about all kinds of things about the life hereafter, as we are inclined to do. And we can wonder about all kinds of things, but the catechism cautions against that. For our speculations cannot even begin to do justice to what it will be truly like. The catechism says, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived. But what we do know is that at that time there will be no more pain and no more sorrow. There will all be no loneliness, no despair. There will be no arthritis, no cancer. There will be no sin. There will not even be the possibility for sin. And that, beloved, is the content of our faith. And that also concludes the discussion about the, uh, the articles of our Catholic undoubted Christian faith. The last statement of this Lord's Day reminds us of what our faith is all about, what we believe. It is about the blessedness which we have received from God in which to praise him forever and ever. We must, all, we must do all things to the praise of his glory in this life and in the life to come. The Lord has greatly blessed us. He has created us to be with him, to dwell with him. And that is what he has accomplished through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He rose from the grave. And then he ascended into heaven so that we can live, that we can live forever with him. Praise the Lord. And be thankful. Amen.